Hi, I'm Chantal. I have ADHD. Welcome to episode three of this podcast. I'd like to talk to you about how I got diagnosed. How did that process go? What did it look like? What were the steps? Let's have a look. So, rewinding, but not too, too far back, just for the scope of how I really got this particular diagnosis, not my earlier diagnoses that were not quite on the mark, not my earlier experiences with ADHD. I will talk about those later in another podcast episode, but just looking at the scope of this diagnosis and how it happened, how it came about and how it went. So it was tricky. And it might not be tricky for every person. I really hope not. Um, it can vary. The experience can vary from person to person. How many steps you're going to have to take. How many, how many people you're going to have to see for it. And how many times you're going to have to try and advocate for yourself. Which is extremely hard when you're not feeling well. That's going to vary from person to person. And the reason for that is not every doctor, not every physician, not every specialist, not every psychiatrist, etc., etc., not every medical professional is going to be well-versed in this. And that's not because they suck. It's not because they don't care. It's because... Well, ADHD, as we now understand it, and with the new information we have, it's not even properly, what's the word for this, properly explained in the DSM, the Diagnostic Manual. It's something where, for the longest time, we didn't understand all the angles of the presentation of ADHD in girls, women, non-cis men. And the reason for that is kind of interesting, kind of, you know, it'll make sense. Basically, with cis men, cis boys, now, not a hundred percent of them, but more cis men, cis boys, tend to have the H than not. So there's ADD and ADHD. They're now both under ADHD, under that umbrella, but they used to be separate. So ADD, Attention Deficit Disorder, without the H, and then ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder. More cis boys and cis men had the hyperactive. I don't. For me, the party's in my brain. And it's not necessarily one I like to attend. So, obviously, because of this hyperactive quality, now, I'm not talking about, like, running around the room, can't sit still, gotta, like, scale the walls. Hyperactive can just mean that you need to stand while you work, you need to walk around while you work, you need to fidget, you need to move. Your body wants to move. Now, none of us stay 100% still when we're sitting down doing something because we're not robots, but they do have that presentation that's a bit more visible, that's a bit more, I need to do different things, 
I need to move around, and also my brain is busy and doesn't want to do this one thing now and can't do this one thing now. It wants to do something else, something more stimulating, something that maybe also involves physical activity. So because cis boys and cis men have this hyperactivity factor more often than non-cis men, well, that makes it more visible. It makes it physically more visible because you can see that these people are physically active, whereas maybe their peers are relatively physically still. So they get seen, they get diagnosed. There is also a good number of people who have sort of a combination. It's not that you necessarily have the H or don't have the H. Some people have a combination. Some people present as sometimes being hyperactive, sometimes needing to move around. Not always constantly, not consistently. We're all very different, and ADHD presents very specifically for each person. It's kind of unique to each person, which, um, you know, it sort of makes sense. We're all different. Also, it kind of sucks because, you know, wouldn't it be nice if there was this simple template and you could say, oh, yeah, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. Oh, I have it. Yeah, doesn't work that way. So if you don't have that H or a significant amount of that H, then you don't really get seen as having ADHD. It doesn't get noticed. Someone doesn't say, oh, gosh, do, do you think that maybe maybe you have ADHD? That, that won't happen if you don't have the H or it very likely won't happen. It's a lot less likely, which means eh, girls, women, non-cis men, because there are so many of us who don't present with the H, we're kind of unseen in that way. And how would we know that we have ADHD? When you have a party in your brain, you don't realize you do because you didn't grow up a certain number of years without the H, uh, with, sorry, without you didn't grow up a certain number of years without ADHD. You don't have that contrast of knowing, oh, this is what it feels like to not have ADHD. And then boom, from this age, I suddenly had it. And oh, wow, I really noticed it. It was really like difficult. And oh, my brain didn't feel like, you know, no, that's, you've always had ADHD. And you've never experienced what it's like to be in the brain of someone who doesn't have it, someone who's neurotypical. A neurodivergent brain doesn't know it's a neurodivergent brain, and therefore it's really hard for us to say, oh, hey, you know, I, I think things are harder for me than they need to be. No, you end up just thinking, oh, everyone feels like this. Everyone handles it. I just need to work harder. I'm, I'm clearly not working hard enough. I'm clearly not as good as my peers at just dealing with these things that everyone deals with clearly. Yeah, it's really hard. And then here's the other thing. If you don't get diagnosed as a kid because you weren't sort of a squeaky wheel in class, good luck getting diagnosed as an adult by someone just noticing and saying, oh, hey, I think you might have ADHD. And that can be difficult because what ends up happening to get diagnosed? You basically have to have this very specific set of things happen. You have to know about ADHD really know about ADHD, not just the Lynette from Desperate Housewives version. Really know about the complexities and the subtleties 
the subtleties of ADHD. And then you basically have to self-diagnose, which a lot of us know that we should not do with a lot of things. You know, we'll, we'll go to our doctor and say, I'm having trouble with this or I'm having trouble with that. But when it comes to ADHD, a lot of doctors don't know a lot about it, especially it's non-hyperactive presentation. That's something that's newly becoming more understood, more widely seen and known by physicians. And yeah, you basically have to say, I think I have ADHD. Can you help me? And that's scary because when you're going to a physician, you're, I don't know, and you know, I'll speak from my experience. When I go to a physician, now my, my physician's not, he's very approachable. My physician is very approachable. Thank goodness. And even so, I feel like, well, I don't want to tell him how to do his job. I'm not a doctor. So I don't want to just say, hey, you know, what about this thing that we may have missed all my life? Could it be this? Hey, can I diagnose myself for you? <laughs> you know, that can be really awkward. But here's the thing. In order to get diagnosed, a lot of non-cis men, a lot of women, a lot of girls have actually had, especially in adulthood, have had to basically self-diagnose and that's how they then were able to get a diagnosis, by self-diagnosing first. Yeah, it is counterintuitive. It feels hella awkward. But let's talk about how that goes because it's not like other things where you self-diagnose. I mean, I'm sure there are other things where you also have to maybe self-diagnose and then talk to your doctor, but this isn't like, well, honestly, I'm not sure how I was going to finish that sentence, but with this, the way I'm going to put this is that with, with ADHD, especially the internalized presentation, the non-H presentation, there are official steps to take that involve self-diagnosing. So with this, it is okay. So let me tell you about how this happened. I'm going to rewind a little bit. Not too much, just a little. So my husband has ADHD. Like me, he doesn't have a big emphasis on the hyperactivity. Now, yes, he fidgets. Sometimes his leg will be shaking a bunch while he's reading something, or he'll be picking at his nails or something. And you know, but a lot of us do that. But other than that, he's, you know, he just seems like a regular average neurotypical person. Unless you know him well. So he was having some difficulties and he was lucky that he knew someone who had ADHD and being a curious person, because a lot of us with ADHD are curious people. He researched it to understand it more and started seeing things about it that were very subtle, that were, you know, oh, that thing. Wait, everyone doesn't just feel like that? Oh, that's an ADHD thing? Oh. And eventually, as he was having struggles, sort of remembered some of that and then started researching further and then started seeing some similarities, and started asking himself questions. Eventually, 
pardon the noise, I have a small child. Sometimes there's going to be a little bit of sound from him. Um, eventually, went to his doctor and said, is it possible that I have this? And his doctor, my apologies, and his doctor gave him a screener. Now, this screener is something for adults looking to see if they have ADHD. And the screener is available online. You can look this up. Just look for adult ADHD screener. There's something like six questions in the first section. It's a one-page thing, so like six questions in the first section, and then maybe another, I want to say 12? I think it's like 18 questions total, or it might be 10 in the second? Something like that. And there's just questions, and they ask about difficulties you may or may not be having, and severity of those difficulties, and you answer them. And so she sent him home with the screener, and he did it. And she wanted me to do it too, because sometimes we don't see ourselves very clearly. Sometimes there, there are also things that we see about ourselves that are very important. And that's, that's why she wanted us both to do it. So basically, you get this screener, you fill it out yourself, and then you get someone who knows you really, really well to do it as well. And then you compare answers and... What's kind of neat about it is um, there were some things that I saw for him where I said, oh, you answered that way? Are you sure about that? And he sort of explained why and said, oh, okay, maybe I need to amend mine a little bit. Because actually, yeah, I didn't know that, you know, I've never seen you do these sorts of projects. Those are things that you do alone. Um, okay, like those are things you do at work and I don't see you while you're at work. Okay. Or there were things that he measured that I said, oh, but you're forgetting about these sorts of things. Like, remember when I'd see you do this? And like, do you remember how hard this actually was for you? Like, yeah, you got it done. But do you remember how hard it actually was? How much time it actually took and how much mental anguish and energy? Yeah. So you see, you see things. This is why it's really good to have you and someone close to you do it. Now, I also probably wouldn't have a parent do it because they might have two versions of you in their mind, um, and not for any bad reason, but, you know, they might be too close to the project. They might have sort of the real accurate version of you in their mind and also sort of the idealized version of you that, you know, every parent has because they love us. Now I say that as an estranged child, but you know what I mean. By and large, hey, I'm a parent. I love my child. Do I have an idealized version of him in my mind? Um, I mean, I don't think so, but probably. <laughs> probably, yes. Um, so yeah, get a really close friend to do it, or get a spouse to do it, or like your sister or brother. Anyway. So you do it. And... There's a certain number of markers where if you're in a certain range, it'll indicate that you might have ADHD. Um, but this doesn't confirm that you have ADHD. What it is, is a screener that you do. And then within a certain range, it might indicate that you do. And then as a next step, the screener tells you basically, if you have this certain scoring, go talk to your doctor because you might have ADHD or there's a good chance of it. It doesn't say yes or no. 
it's a tool. It's a tool so that when you go to your doctor, you have something to show them and you can tell them, see, this is why I wonder if I might have it. I never thought about these things before, but I think it would be good to look at. So he did that. It was deemed very likely that he had ADHD. You'll note that I'm not saying he was diagnosed with it right off the bat. It was deemed very likely that he had it. And then he started the medication because frustratingly, but hey, this is life. You can't just take a snapshot of the brain and say, oh, that thing, that's what that is. You have ADHD. I see it right there. That's what that is. You have it. I mean, yes, um, you know, there, there are pictures of brains, of course, like when we do, when, when there are studies on ADHD, yes, we are looking at lacks of neurotransmitters, etc. We are looking at snapshots of brains, but you can't normally get that when you go to your family doctor, when you, when you go to a general practitioner, that's not how that works. They're not going to do a CT scan. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to take a picture of your brain and say, there's the ouchie. No. And that's okay. That's just how, how that is. That's okay. So how it goes when you can't do that is with anything neurological, with anything behavioral, unfortunately, you just have to try a medication sometimes. And sometimes the treatment is part of the diagnosis. And that is how it is with ADHD at the moment. So you start a medication. If it works, that kind of reinforces that that is the diagnosis for you. Notice I say reinforce, not confirms, because with anything behavioral or neurological, it's never 100%. It's just one of those things that if it doesn't fit later, you look at another diagnosis. I know it's annoying. It sucks. That's life. We all have to deal with that. It sucks, but that's life. So that reinforced the diagnosis. Now I'm going to add a caveat to that, which is, are you going to get the right medicine the first time? Maybe not. It's different for every person, which one is going to work. So if it doesn't work the first time, maybe make sure that your doctor is taking that with a grain of salt. They should, but make sure that they do because sometimes you need to try a second or a third and see if any of them work because some of them just won't work for a person. That's okay. We're all different. So he tried it. It worked. Was it the perfect medication? Was it the one that he's going to always be on? No, but it worked. It managed some of the symptoms. A lot of them actually, it made a lot of them less severe is there some tailoring that later needs to be done to find the right one for the right person? Yes. As with a lot of things, as, as with anti-anxiety, as with anti-depression, yes, there's tailoring that then needs to be done. But it, it did reinforce that that was the right diagnosis. So with that, because he's who he is and because he has ADHD, probably, that's probably why as well, he's very curious he likes to research things. He wants to research what he has, right? So he looked into it more. He did more reading. He started learning more about the presentations of ADHD and the subtleties, the subtleties of ADHD. Because ADHD 
especially when you don't have the age, which neither of us do, it can be pretty subtle. Those distinctions, those differences, those little things that make life hard, they're subtle things. They're inside the brain things. They're they're not things that you're going to outwardly see us doing necessarily, but they are going to affect our lives in very real material ways. So he was learning a bunch about that. He got diagnosed six months to a year before I did. And the way that I realized I had ADHD was that, well, my husband and I, we talk a lot. We always talk about things. And when we're processing something, one or both of us, we talk about that too. So we were talking a lot about ADHD. And there were things where I'd be like, oh, wow, that's an ADHD thing? I thought that was just an everybody thing. And there were things where the more he read about different presentations and, and also more specifically about how, um, how boys and men get diagnosed where non-cis men and women, girls don't get diagnosed. There were things that as we talked, he started to realize, oh my goodness, are, are you sure that you don't have it? And I said, I, I can't imagine can't imagine I do. I, I don't think so. Like, what do you mean? And then we talked more about that. And then just for kicks, he went and got that screener because he still had his copy. Because his doctor had taken a copy and he has a copy. And uh, he said, well, just for kicks, let's go through this, both of us. Now, I'm also going to say I've, I've done this screener several times and my understanding of the screener has changed and my acceptance of what the severity of the symptoms are has also changed because there's so much that I just thought, oh, that's not that bad. You know, I don't want to be whiny about this. I'm going to say, oh, that's not that bad. That's, that's fairly low. Where later when I start really looking into this stuff, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, I do have trouble with this. Um, doesn't mean I can't get this done at all. It just means, okay, I actually, I do have a lot of trouble doing this though. Okay. Maybe I'll rate this higher than I used to, because actually that's more honest. Um, so yeah, we did the screener, both of us, for me, and realized I actually rated just as high or higher than he did in the ADHD, in the ADHD symptoms. Now, what was interesting too, though, is that a lot of my markers were very different than his markers. We were almost opposites in certain areas. It was really interesting to see, but they were still markers for ADHD, and I had them. So, what did I do? I made an appointment with my doctor. This was September of 2020. 2020? No. September of 2019. My goodness, this all blurs together, doesn't it? Pandemic, it just makes time both elongate and compress in my memory. So this was September of 2019, and we went together because I was actually really nervous. <laughs> I was so nervous to go and, I don't know, look like some whiny woman who's trying to tell a doctor how to do his job. Not that my doctor has ever given me reason to think that he would take it that way, but I had fears, I had doubts, I had worries. 
and they really got into my head, and so I needed support. So my husband went with me, and my family doctor asked me a bit about symptoms, asked me a bit about my experience, and said, okay, yeah, it kind of sounds like, yeah, you might. Now, it's a good thing that he didn't say yes and that he didn't say no, because he's not a specialist in it, and he didn't know enough about the presentation in women, or about the non-hyperactive presentation. And honestly, even if he did, having this diagnosis is actually a longer process than you might think. It's not a five-minute conversation or a 20-minute conversation with your general practitioner. It actually needs to be its own thing, and it needs to be fairly long and fairly involved to really get all of the right information down and ask all the right questions. I'll get more into that later. So he said, yeah, quite possibly. And then the next step normally would have been to get medicated and try it, like my husband. There was one hitch, though. I was on antidepressants. No, I still am, but I was on antidepressants. I was taking venlafaxine. That's also known as Effexor. Its generic name is venlafaxine. And I was breastfeeding. Now, he knew that normally venlafaxine and Adderall are fine together. That breastfeeding and Adderall are fine together. But he was a little concerned about the interaction of all three. Is it okay to be on venlafaxine and on Adderall and breastfeed? Now, it's not that he knew that it was a problem. It was that he didn't know if it was a problem. And so, in, in an effort to be extra cautious, he referred me to a specialist. A specialist in ADHD. Luckily, we have a specialist. We have one single specialist on PEI for all of the island. He's semi-retired. He is amazing. He does this because he wants to, and my goodness, it helps a lot of people. So, I got on that waitlist, and for the meantime, it was sort of a holding pattern of, well, I'm mentally not circling the drain, so I'm going to stay with my venlafaxine, with my Fexor, and going to wait on trying ADHD medication. Going to wait to see the specialist. Now... It was still going to be a very long time, and I was noticing, especially with work, I was having a lot of struggles, and definitely in my personal life, I was having a lot of struggles. I'll talk more in another episode about specifically what kind of struggles and what ADHD looks like for me. It will be in an early enough episode, definitely, because I know you'll want to know about this. Um, so my apologies for my vagueness right now. But I was having some struggles, and I realized... You know, yes, I can live with them, but I also have a partner. I have a little kid. I'm, you know, I started to realize that I was actually putting more on my partner than was fair. Not that he'd ever say anything about it, but I started to realize, oh my goodness, he's doing so much to make life manageable for me. And I wish that I could help more. And so I thought, okay, I hate to be a squeaky wheel because that really goes against my nature. But... Maybe we need to squeak a little and, you know, not be, not be an ass, not be mean to anybody, not be pushy, 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 but 
just a little bit of advocating for myself, which is really not in my nature to do. So I mustered up my courage, I mustered up my nerve, and I went to my doctor and I said, you know, I'm, I'm a little worried that it's taking so long, is there anything we can do? And he said, okay, well, we'll leave you on this list for the specialist, for sure, we'll keep that in place, but how about at the same time, we'll also put you on a list to get a consult from a psychiatrist. It'll be an online consult, because the psychiatrist isn't in province, and by, by this time, it was 2020, we were into the pandemic, um, so I definitely couldn't go physically. Um, so it was going to be a Zoom consult, and he just sort of said, hey, you know, whichever comes up first, at least you'll get seen, hopefully soon, and we'll just leave you on both lists. In 2021? Yes. In 2021. I actually had to think about that for a minute. Uh, early in 2021, so maybe what is that, like a year and a half, a little over a year after I got my original semi-diagnosis, I saw a psychiatrist. Now, normally I don't name names, but in this case, in this case I am. And it's, it's not to be mean, it's not to point fingers, but I think it's important that if anyone else sees this person, um, that maybe they take their comments with a grain of salt as I ended up having to. So I'm only going to name names with good reason and only if it's reasonable to do it. So I went to that Zoom meeting with uh, Dr. David Harrell and it lasted an hour. Now in that hour, 45 minutes of that was him asking me questions and me answering them. And then the last 15 minutes was him talking about his diagnosis. So, wow, this is actually a little hard to talk about. Okay, psyching myself up. It just, it, it actually, unintentionally, I'm, I'm sure on his end, it, it actually did a lot of harm to me. Um, so, he did his best, but he didn't understand his shortcomings, and it did harm me. Dr. Harrell asked me a bunch of questions. Um, the first few were more about ADHD, and he asked me a bunch about my background, about childhood, uh, about childhood traumas, about my family life. It got more and more into stuff about my family, and about my experience, and about some of the not-so-great things that happened to me when I was a teenager and when I was in my early 20s. And he diagnosed me with generalized anxiety, I believe, and depression, and said that the causes were multifactorial and that I couldn't have ADHD. And when he explained that in the, the 15 minutes uh, of explanation at the end, what he was saying was that I, I was able to read novels. I, I sometimes like to read when I can. Um, I do like to read novels. If I'm interested in them, if they're ones that I choose, um, I can read a novel. Not all in one sitting, but I can read one. I can continue reading one. I can finish one. I can actually sit down and read for hours if I'm really interested in something. Um, 
that combined with the fact that he didn't see me fidgeting. Now, ah, I just, so he didn't see me fidgeting. He didn't see me getting up a lot to walk around or tinkering with things or whatnot. He didn't see the H, he didn't see the hyperactive part, which I just don't have. And it didn't seem to matter that I had told him I hadn't been able to read a single book all through grades 1 to 12. Not a single book, not a single reading that was assigned to me. Because I had such a hard time sitting down and doing it, and that I just, I didn't like it when people assigned me something to read that I didn't want to read. And I just couldn't do it. So I literally had to pull out all the tricks I possibly could to muster through, to, to get through my first 12 years of education. And I didn't read a single reading or book that was assigned to me. That didn't seem to matter. And yeah, I couldn't possibly have ADHD. Now, there are a few things wrong with that. There are a lot of things wrong with that. Okay, let's get into this. And once again, I am going to reiterate that it wasn't something, that, you know, his, his ignorance wasn't malicious. He wasn't trying to be ignorant. Um, but it, it's, it's not, it's not great. You know, when you, when you don't know enough about something to the point where you can actually harm a fairly wide community, because there are a lot of us who don't present with the H, um, that is a big problem. Intentional or not, that's a big problem. So, yeah, a lot of things wrong with that. One of the things that's wrong with that is I'm just not hyperactive. I can sit still. There are long periods where I can even just not fidget. Especially when it comes to a one-on-one -on -one thing. Especially when it comes to a situation where I need to be hyper-polite. And I even explained this to him at the start of that Zoom call. I even explained to him, Listen, Dr. Hurrell, there's one thing you're going to want to know. I'm not going to be getting up and down a lot during this conversation. You're not going to see me fidgeting a lot. And the reason for this is that I was raised by a father who displayed narcissistic tendencies. My father put a big emphasis on being proper, being polite, being respectful. And what that meant, and also I was taught this in school at an early age, what that meant is when you're talking with somebody, you give them your full attention. You look them in the eye or you, you look them in the screen you try and make it feel like you're actually engaging with them and that you're focused on them because that's what's polite. If you have an urge to get up, you, you just don't do that. It's not appropriate. It's not polite. You don't do that. Okay. And so that's very ingrained, very ingrained in me. And I did tell him that. So I wasn't going to be running around the room. And also I don't have the H. And yeah, so what if I can read Ever hear of hyperfocus? That is something that people with ADHD, like me, have. All of us, even the people with the H. Hyperfocus is a thing. We just don't get to control it. Can we get hyperfocused into a book that we chose, that we're interested in, that we wanted to pick up? Of course. Absolutely. Oh yeah. I've known people with ADHD who can read piles of books and sit there for hours 
And then they get up and they go and run around outside or, you know, I have known people who can do this. Of course you can read, especially for pleasure. Of course you can get interested in things and want to research things and whatnot. Yes, we can. It's just that we don't get to control it. We don't get to say, oh, here's this thing that someone wants me to read. Oh, I guess I'll just take the time to sit down and... No, <laughs> we don't get to do that. Oh, I wish. I wish. But no. Now, that was demoralizing. Having someone say, no, you don't have it. And it's hard when it's someone with credentials like that, who's a psychiatrist, who says on their webpage that they can help with ADHD, that they know about ADHD. You know, that's, that's a learned professional, a doctor, who purportedly knows about ADHD versus little old me, who is just learning about it and is just trying to figure stuff out. Now, a lot of people probably stop there. And, oh my goodness, I can understand why. Because at that point, much like me, other people probably end up having that feeling of, well, I got it assessed by a professional. They looked at me, they listened to me, they made a decision. Okay, I don't have it. That means that it's just me. I'm not working hard enough. I'm not as good as other people. I'm not as smart as other people. I'm not putting in the effort. Okay. I guess it's my responsibility. I guess it's my fault. Okay, I know that now. And, oh, I went down that road. But my husband, if, if I didn't have someone so supportive who knew about this stuff, I mean, I don't know if I would have kept going. He said, you know, we, we talked about the interview. We talked about what he said. We talked about what questions were asked, what I talked about. And when we talked about his assessment of me, Dr. Hurl's assessment of me, my husband said, I don't know. That, that doesn't sound like you to me. That, that doesn't sound like he necessarily got a good read. And he reminded me, you know, you've never met this person before today. This was a 45-minute meeting. It's entirely possible that he just didn't get a good read. And to be fair, Dr. Harrell also had sort of mentioned something like that. That, you know, hey, is it possible that he's not getting the right read? Always. But that that was his opinion, and uh, he was going to do a write-up, and I'd have access to it. Now, because my husband helped sort of guide me through this and bolster my courage, I, I did actually eventually, <laughs> at, some, at some difficulty, go through the channels to actually get access to his write-up, because I wanted to see, okay, what did he write about me? And my husband and I looked at it, and he said, yeah, no, that's really not you. That doesn't, that doesn't ring true to me. That doesn't seem like Chantal to me. I just don't think he got it right. And that's where going to my family doctor was actually kind of hard for me, because I felt like, okay, 
I'm talking to my doctor about another doctor, and I'm basically going to be saying that I'm not sure he did a good job. Oh, dear. My husband came with me. <laughs> Both of us masked up. We uh, took the little guy to his grands, and we, we went to my doctor together, and and I was really glad to have him there and to have someone back me up that, you know, I just, it wasn't a good read. I didn't feel like it was a good read. And my, my doctor, while he sounded sort of doubtful, to his credit, didn't say I was wrong. And basically we just said, okay, so we'll leave the consultation for the specialist. Uh, we'll, we'll keep me on that list. We'll keep that as a as an element in play, that whenever that comes up, I go and I talk to the specialist, see what he thinks. And because I was in greasy wheel mode, uh, greasy wheel, because I was in squeaky wheel mode, I thought, okay, what's the harm? You know, I'll call a few times, I'll say to them, hey, I'm really having a hard time. If you have a slot for a cancellation or something, could you please keep me in mind? By the way, Dr. Wong has a wonderful blog where he talks about ADHD and, and other medical things, but he also talks about ADHD and he talks about medication. He talks about symptoms. He talks about different presentations. It's a really good resource. It also helped bolster my courage. Um, for that, it's askdrwong.com. Askdrwong.com. Pretty sure it's .com. So, Dr. Wong got back to me, and he said, you know what, I'm really happy that you reached out, because if someone really, really needs help with ADHD, and, you know, it, it's more urgent, it's not that they're kind of curious about it, it's that they really actually need help now, you know, I want to know about it, he said. So he said he would, he would see me when he could. And eventually I saw Dr. Wong. And that went very differently than my diagnosis with my doctor. It went very differently than the session I had with the psychiatrist, Dr. Harrell. It was, oh my goodness, I, I'm just so glad I went. I am kind of getting goosebumps and like a bit of a smiling thing happening right now, actually just thinking about it and just how glad I am that I was able to go and how glad I am that Dr. Wong was everything I could hope he would be and then more. It was just such a good experience and it was such a positive thing. So... What on earth are they doing in the other room? My apologies. If I were to guess what that is, it is probably a miniature version of a broom smacking into a wall. <laughs> okay, so I went to see Dr. Wong and it was amazing. It was a long appointment. Dr. Wong said something very important about that, actually, that any assessment for ADHD, a real one, a, a proper one, should 
by someone who knows what they're doing with ADHD should actually be fairly long. He said, honestly, 45 minutes is not enough to make a diagnosis. It's not enough to say yes. It's definitely not enough time to be able to say no with any certainty that you don't have it. That made me feel both really good and also angry that Dr. Harrell thought that it was enough time to be able to officially say no. So that's information that I feel is good for other people to know, that if you didn't get the diagnosis, and if the process wasn't what it should be, you know, take that with a grain of salt, because through, through no malice of their own, sometimes physicians, psychiatrists, just don't know that they don't know what they need to know about ADHD. They don't know that they don't know. They don't realize that they don't know. So that was great, just knowing that even. And then Dr. Wong started a an appointment of several hours by starting at the beginning. He asked me about my childhood. He started off with sections of ages. He said, from zero to six, what was life like? What was your play habits like? Were you a quiet child? Were you often thinking? Were you alone in your head? Were you, when you were playing, what were you playing with? Were you running around outside? Were you playing with your dolls? When you were playing with your dolls, did you have like, were you making them talk? Did you have a lot of storylines going around in your head? Were you creating stories? Were you creating a world in your mind? All kinds of questions that actually really hit home with me and that and that actually told him about who I really am and who I was and what my experience was like. Zero to six. And then another selection of ages. And then uh, I think it was like first grade to sixth grade or something, and then middle school and then high school. He just, he went through my life piece by piece. And even just with my childhood, when we were talking about primary school and what torture it was for me, he said, right there, you had severe ADHD. As a child, I had severe ADHD and I didn't know it. Nobody ever thought about it. I mean, you know, I, I got a lot of negative comments and feedback and stuff, but no one ever thought about ADHD. Wow, they must be having a party in the other room because I'm hearing all kinds of things. <laughs> but yeah, it was just amazing to be seen and to have things looked at closely and with seriousness, with respect. It was just wonderful. And Dr. Wong told me that my experience was very unique. I'm sure many people's experiences with ADHD are also very unique. And he said, you should write your story. Now, when it comes to things that are painful, difficult emotionally, mentally, especially when it comes to personal things for me, I have a hard time sitting down and writing my story. It's not that I don't want to share it, but I have a hard time because when when you write, you sort of have to slow 
down and look at it in a in a very intense way. At least that's my experience of how that feels. And I can't. I just, I can't do it. I don't have it in me to do it. But that's part of what this podcast is. Um, thank you, Dr. Wong. I thought that I would share my story. I mean, I think it would also be neat if one day, um, you know, if maybe a specialist and maybe, I don't know, a professor of sociology looked at my story and, and looked at ADHD in context of just everything in life. I, I think that would be really interesting too. Or if they did that with anybody's ADHD story, I think that would be fascinating. But yeah, I thought that I would try and share it here in this podcast. So with Dr. Wong, it was very positive. I didn't feel like he was judging me. He he was very good at managing conversations with people with ADHD. He was great at keeping me on track in a way that didn't make me feel awkward or judged. I could tell by his questions, by the types of questions and how thoughtful they were. They were very specific questions. And they were so well thought out and so pointed, and they got me talking on things that I hadn't considered ever, really. Even in talking about ADHD or thinking about whether I had it, the questions he asked me about my childhood, and about school, and about responses that I had from teachers, and about certain types of projects that I had a good time with or difficulty with, everything. It was amazing. When I got out of that appointment, the the experience was, you know, I, I couldn't predict. I So first off, I was terrified before the appointment because, you know, specialist. I thought, okay, if he thinks I don't have it, I probably don't have it. I can maybe say that at this point. And then, oh God, what if what if that means that it's just me and that I suck and that I'm not as good as other people and that it's all my fault because I'm just not putting in what it takes to be good at life, to be a good partner, to be a good mom, to be a good, I don't know. And when I say good, I mean perfect, by the way. Um, that's a thing I'm learning about people with ADHD is when we, when we look at good, our bar is like up there for what good means for us. It really means without fault. Oh, more on that later as well. But yeah, I was very afraid going into that appointment that what if I don't have it and it's because I just suck. So, it was such a good feeling. After that appointment, I felt like I had really been seen and someone got to know me and got to know my history and really saw into that brain of mine and saw it for what it was. And I was finally going to get help. That was incredible. And then that night and, and, you know, the next few days, I had this emotional roller coaster that I couldn't have predicted I'd have. When you get diagnosed officially like that, especially like by someone like Dr. Wong, who really saw me, who really understood and asked the right questions and a lot of specific questions, you know, it, it, also made me realize through the questions he had asked, oh my goodness, that time that that happened in school, oh my goodness, oh wow, how did no one, 
understand. How, how did people just think that it was me being terrible at this, or me not putting in the effort for that? Why did people just assume that I was lazy and forgetful, and why didn't anyone ask more questions about whether I needed help with something, and whether I was maybe not completely okay, and was maybe struggling with something, something that I could get help with? There were a lot of moments like that where I looked at where I looked at things in school or things at home and realized how many things my parents had missed and how many things teachers had missed and how much negative feedback I had gotten that was really painful, that's still really painful. It's just, it wasn't my fault. And also, people censured me instead of giving me help and compassion and taking a step back to just say, wait, is it really her fault? Let's just even take a minute to think about that. People didn't do that. And grain of salt here, like, it doesn't remove the pain of that, because, you know, that's just something that you go through. You, you think about those things when you get this diagnosis. And it's painful, but grain of salt, I'm also going to say, to be fair to a lot of people, and to my parents, you know, our understanding of ADHD back then was not what it is now. It was very much like Lynette and her kids and Desperate Housewives, you know? The kids are bouncing off the walls. They're throwing ketchup at the ceiling. I don't know. <laughs> ketchup at the ceiling. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think they even did that in that, in that episode. But <laughs> basically, if they're not unruly, beyond unruly, um, you know, that's what they thought ADHD looked like. That's what they thought it was. Of course, they didn't think I had it. And also, to be fair, if I had been diagnosed as a kid, yeah, the, the treatments weren't as good as they are today. The medications weren't as good as they are today. Would I necessarily have gotten anywhere with help? I honestly don't know. Quite possibly not. Honestly, it might have even discouraged me from trying to go to university. I might have thought, well, I just don't know if I can do that. That sounds like a lot for someone like me. Who knows? Maybe I would have thought that. Maybe I wouldn't have. Maybe I would have thought, oh, hey, okay, I know what I'm dealing with at least. Maybe I can get through this. Maybe I just need to pace myself. I don't know. Who knows? You really can't tell what you would do and how it would change things. But I do know one thing. Having that diagnosis when I was a kid for that particular time, it wouldn't have necessarily helped me. So in some ways... You know, I just need to be okay with the fact that I got it today and be glad that the medications are relatively a lot more decent today. They're actually quite good. And that the knowledge is getting there, even if it's not there all the way. And, you know, it's science. It, it just, it's progress. It's a work in progress. But I often say, because it's true, two things can be true at the same time. It's not always one or the other. It's, it's like, you know, when people say, oh, but it could be worse. I never say it could be worse. What I say instead is it could be worse, but it could be better. Because that's often true, right? You need to look at it as, okay, sure, I'm, I'm not in the worst situation of everyone in the world. Could it also be better? You've got to balance that, right? You've got to look at the two. Yes, the stuff I'm feeling is real. Yes, it's stuff I'm going to have to process. Yes, it's stuff that I'm allowed to feel. It also, you know, could be worse. The two are true at the same time. I think in another episode later, I might talk more about 
that processing, which I'm still going through, by the way, of trying to figure out how I feel about the diagnosis and looking at earlier parts of my life when I was undiagnosed and no one noticed. Um, it's, it's not feeling as bad as it was at the very start, right after that appointment. And it's something I try not to dwell on too much because it, well, it makes me sad. But it is something I'm still coming to grips with and that I think I'm going to need to think about a little more and process a little more because sometimes you just, you have to process it, like it or not, you gotta process. And maybe once I've processed it a little more, maybe that'll make some room for me to look at some of the positives of ADHD and what those might be. I hope this was an okay episode. I, I hope that it was interesting enough and didn't go down too many tangents. If it did, hey, that's... Isn't that just part of this as well? Definitely tangents sometimes. I hope you're all doing okay, whomever's listening. And thanks. Thanks for sharing some time with me. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>